0: move to organizations so much like the drop streams rivers and oceans uh, uh, any organization begins with an individual and so in this particular case we're looking our individuals are probably freelancers independent contractors they could be employees or they could be sole proprietors it takes a mix of all these folks to put an organization together the next step is when we decide to partner with somebody now, we often use this, this, this term loosely, uh, you know, we're going to get together and partner on this, and, but there's actually a legal connotation to partnering, um, and, and I, I did that too when I was growing up, I, I went to law school also, and, and so I can tell you that you don't want to be a partnership, and here's the reason, there's unlimited liability between the partners, so, in a partnership if if you and I are partners john if you and I are partners and and you go have a car wreck and they sue you, they can actually impugn that liability onto me. So you' want to watch being a partner, but it is a good form of coming together it's a legal form, like I said, and they come in two forms: general partner that means that we are both equal or at some ratio together, and then there's gen, then there's limited partner which means I run the project and you just really are the investor, okay? Next. Then we move into the form of partnership that really most of us should be using, which is called a limited liability company. And limited liability companies is a structure that, if you notice, it looks just exactly like the partnership down below, but one of them is elevated up to manager. Now, it could be that everybody gets elevated to manager. That's okay, too. Whereas you can have both both partners in an LLC both be the managers. That but but usually one of them chooses to be the manager and they kinda carry the administrative load of the company. Which what's great about a limited liability company as opposed to a corporation is there's not that much administrative load. You don't have to produce all these minutes, have all these board meetings, do all this stuff. Limited liability companies are really just a way to hold an asset in and then operate that asset with a group of people. Now, in in our lunch today, I talked about that that Hernando de Soto, he, he wrote a book called The Mystery of Capital. And in that book, it talks about that asset plus title equals capital. So what we don't realize is in the world, the poor actually own more stuff than the rich. Because they can't get title to it, either because their governments are weak on title law, or simply just are denied access to the courthouse by, by whatever system, they don't own title to the assets that they own, and so they cannot t- turn them into capital, because capital is what the financial markets understand. So, so what we try to do is put the business in a format where not only does it function like this LLC might function, but you can also, by having title to it. Now, the, what's the most typical form of title in a company, you might think? No, 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 not title as in position, but to own title in a company. How, how's, how do most people own companies today? They own stock, that's right. And if you were to take out, out of your pocket and look at a dollar bill, there's a serial number down at the corner. Now, that happens to be a debt, but nevertheless, it's treated the same way. It has a serial number. Well, if you look at a stock certificate, it has a QCIP number, and those numbers identify, and they're, they're really the same. Corporations can issue, and, and LLCs can issue currency just like a government can. Now, most people never thought about it that way, but we're going to talk about that here as, as we go through this. So, in, in limited liability companies, you're referred to as being a member and you have a member interest. If, you're, if it's a corporation, then you, you're a shareholder and you have a stock interest. But that's really the only difference. So let's move up then to, to corporation here. And there's really two types of corporations. There's a the C corporation. And with the recent tax law changes that uh, President Trump has made, it's actually very advantageous now to have a C corp. There was a time when the double taxation did not make that make as much sense. Uh, but he fixed that when they changed the tax law and made it very encouraging to own C-Corps. C-Corps are great for this reason. They're an individual entity. So they're just like another person. They, f- they file their own tax returns. They do all that stuff. Whereas S-Corporations, uh, they are passed through entities like LLCs. So whatever the business makes... It's passed through what's called a K-1 down to your personal tax return and that can be good and that can be bad. So, so what ha- with a C-Corp you can actually bifurcate or separate these expenses and these incomes in such a way that they don't pass through down to your personal tax return and you get a lot of advantages. One of the great advantages is there can only be, depending on the state, between 70 and 100 members in an S-Corporation. There can literally be thousands, millions of members. As we heard just this week, Apple became the first corporation to be worth a trillion dollars. That's a lot of zeros. You know? And, and so and so in that sense, we also heard this week that, or last week I guess it was, that Facebook lost a hundred billion dollars in one day because the crowd which we're going to learn how important that is in a few minutes, because the crowd got upset with Facebook, and their stock dropped. I mean, just on that emotion. So the fundamentals today are more emotional than they are, than they are actual balance sheet reasons. You know? So everybody kind of get this? So here you have that basic partnership look. But, but maybe there's another division below or whatever the case may be. But somebody accepts the role of being president. And, and that person may or may not be a shareholder. It can be any way you want it to be. So moving on to the next structure then, one that I actually love. Because if you think about corporations, they tend to look like those pyramids we talked about, right? Well, when you look at cooperatives, they, they look more like circles. And, and by definition of a cooperative, it's the... The way that people come together and, and meet a common need. You know, it's interesting. A few years back, I was asked to, to help uh, the, in, the Alabama Independent Drugstore Association figure out how they could compete with uh, Walgreens and CVS and folks like that. And so there's about 400 independent drugstores in the state of Alabama. And, and, and they came to me and they said, well, we got this problem we decided we were gonna to get together and buy stuff together so we could compete, but then we got sanctioned for antitrust. Because the law says that when two or more gather and to compete against a third, that's an antitrust thing. But see with CVS, they owned inside the corporation all these various stores, so they were not competitors, but they had the advantage of group buying. You see how that works? They, they could buy in volume, so they would get the lowest possible price, which increased that gross margin we talked about earlier, which made their businesses more profitable. So what I said to them was, what we need to do is form yourself into a cooperative. Because, see, there are four types of business structures. There's for-profit, non-profit, cooperative, and government. Now, they all, by definition, are corporations, even our government's a corporation. We have a president, right? I mean, it's the way it works. And so, so in, in but in for profit, it's a regular business that runs for profit. Nonprofit, it has certain tax advantages given to it, where people can make donations. Cooperative is a, is the way you bring people together who are independent yet can work together to compete. And finally, government, of course, we know what that is—tyranny. So. <laughs> So, so anyway, so in the case of this, what we did was we put together a company. They all came together. They each put up uh, 1,000 dollars apiece. It was 400, we raised 400,000 dollars. We built a warehouse. actually, we rented a warehouse. And then we started buying generic drugs for them. It's now 15-odd years later, uh, and that $1,000 investment is in, is in a cooperative that does more than two billion dollars a year in business. And, and they are very competitive. They, they, but here's what's great under, co- under cooperative law you cannot violate antitrust so back when I played high school football what I realized was is, is it wasn't always the biggest team or the most physical team it was the team that knew the rules of the game the best that often won the game Okay, and so in this case here knowing the rules and how to play can help you win so, for example, let's say that everyone in here were to decide to come together, much like those pharmacists did, and ban all your businesses together. Then you can find the efficiency, because one thing that's common among all of you is at least toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope so, anyway. Okay? Well, for example, do you know that toilet paper has a 200% markup? Okay? And it's disposable, so that means we, it's used over and over again. Well, actually, it's bought over and over again. Hopefully, it's not used over and over again. And so, and, and so there is actually an advantage to bulk buying toilet paper among this group because you could save 60 to 70% on the cost of toilet paper. And anybody going to shop for toilet paper lately? It's kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, you know, it almost makes you not want to use it anymore. All right, we're not there yet. So there's two types of cooperatives real quick. There are agriculture cooperatives, and then there are associations. The largest cooperative association that you would probably know about and quite likely are a member of is called a credit union. Okay? And so credit unions are very successful cooperatives. Uh, you know, True Value Hardware, Land of Lakes Butter, um, State Farm. All these organizations are cooperatives. So many of you probably are in a cooperative but don't know it. One of the advantages of a cooperative is, though, is when it makes a profit, it's supposed to share, give it back to its members. So all of a sudden, if we're thinking about building a kingdom economy that shares, it could be that the proper unity governance might be a cooperative. Okay? Next thought. Then there are trusts. Trusts are interesting animals in that they're really just agreements. And we're going to get into the power of agreement here in just a second. But the idea here is I have some stuff, and I want to give that stuff to someone. So I put that stuff in a box called a trust, and then I hand it to a trustee. And with a letter of instructions, to tell that trustee do this with my stuff. It could be an estate, it could be a business, it could be anything. But trusts have certain other liability and tax advantages, and we don't have time to get into all that today. But that's why trusts are created. But what makes them strong is they're stronger than than corporate governance because they're an agreement. so another secret is is that how we may loosely associate with each other is not that we all have to be in the same company but rather that we have an agreement so then we can each have our own independent governance as the Lord intended really he gave us that you know that divine right to, to be our, a, an army of one okay but we can then join together by agreement. Uh, and, and so, in the, fu- in the future, as you look at some of these drawings, it'll be dotted lines. It'll be straight lines are ownership, dotted lines will so be agreements as we move through this. Then, of course, you're familiar with a nonprofit organization, which v- looks very much like a trust, okay? It, but the beneficiary is the members of the organization as opposed to a, an individual or another company or whatever the case may be. And and the government has chosen under 501c3 through 9 depending on which one it is to give certain tax advantages to these organizations. However, under the that until just recently until that rule was changed ever so slightly the list of everyone in a nonprofit organization was the property of the US government. I don't know if you knew that or not. Because they gave you the tax deduction, they owned the list. Yeah, you start to think about that a little bit, it kind of can freak you out a little bit. <laughs> so, we're gonna talk about the power of agreement real quick. Um, and so, by the way, The title of this little thing we've been doing you folks is Building Legacy That Echoes Into Eternity. The idea here is is what we're teaching you today, hopefully you'll apply, you'll pass on to your children, and they'll pass on to their children, and then our kingdom will be stronger. Okay? So the basic form of agreement is if you, then I. Okay, that's the way it works. If you do this... I'll do this, we now have an agreement, we now operate together. And, and it's a harmony or accord of an opinion, a feeling, a promise, or a covenant. And it, and it takes at least two people to have an agreement, because you know, unless, unless you have bipolar personality or something, if you, then I. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and it must, it must have, first of all, parties. It can have two or more. And, and they have to have mutual assent, means they've agreed on whatever it is they're agreeing on. That would be called the terms of the agreement. And then it must have consideration. Typically, that's money, but it could be other things, which means we, we have this quid pro, pro quo. We've this for that. We've traded, we've com- commerce together to do that. And the agreements uh, are not, to, here's the thing you want to learn about agreements. When I went to law school, Agreements are not to keep people together; they're to help them to get apart. Most time, people write agreements like they're trying to get everybody together. That's a mistake, because if you're getting along, nobody ever looks at the agreement. But when you get upset with you, with somebody, everybody looks at the agreement. Lawyers like to write the agreements not to get apart. Why would you think that is? More money. More money. Just like lawyers like to write wills, even though you can write your own will. Why? Because they get to probate the wills. Now, I'm not, you know, I went to law school. I could give you a dozen great lawyer jokes, you know. I, I'm not a practicing attorney. I, I'm kind of the nemesis to a practicing attorney. But um, but I am an expert witness before the court because I, I do help a lot of groups get their money back. Oh, this way. So, what is the difference between, there's a lot of words up there and they're small, let's just talk about it. What's the difference between covenant and contract? Because both of those are in agreement. Does anyone have a, a thought about that? Covenant cannot be broken, but a contract can. Mm-hmm. That's a good definition. It's, it goes just a little bit deeper than that. The covenant says that even if you break it, I'm going to keep it. So salvation is a covenant. You know, the Lord said, I love you. Even if you do stupid stuff, I'm still going to love you. Okay. Is a marriage a covenant or an agreement? Well, it's supposed to be you know but but often nowadays it's treated more like an agreement you know uh, i don't like the way you squeeze the toothpaste let's get divorced <laughs> i mean you know it's it's very, we live in a, an instant coffee instant tea instant success society everything's disposable including our relationships okay now i i, I am a victim of divorce and, and you know it happened a long time ago and so we don't need to get into the details but it was one of those that was sanctioned by the church. And so, but my point is, but my point is, is that I always believed I'd be married until death do us part. When the Bible speaks to that, by the way, because I think, this is, if, if I can have the permission to just give a little editorial comment on this one thing. The church is terrible. You know, you can be a, a drug addict, and an alcoholic and the church will embrace you and half the time put you in the pulpit let you get a divorce and you're treated like an outcast and what they don't understand is is in under jewish law there were two aspects of divorce one was called putting away and the other was a bill of divorcement now, in the Bible, it's often translated divorce both ways, so you never, you, unless you go and research it, you wouldn't know. But the idea of putting away, the reason that causes adultery is because you never technically get divorced. Because remember, back in those days, they could have multiple wives. So if I came home today and I didn't like the way Cheryl Lamb made the pizza, I could put her away. Okay? And if she remarried, she would be committing adultery. So when you read that in the Bible, that's the way that works. But if we had a bill of divorcement, and the reason the Lord gave that to Moses was because there was times when people didn't exactly do the holy thing when they got married. They were more infatuated than they were committed. So so I'm not here to promote divorce. The Lord does not like divorce, but it does not make you an outcast either. And, and, and so... Everything, otherwise, forgiveness doesn't work. Does that make sense? So, if any of you have that spirit in you where you want to treat somebody that's got a divorce like a lesser citizen, I would encourage you to think about it. Uh, Contracts are not permanent. Contracts are not permanent. They, they, uh, They have... They have a um, if you then I aspect to them, but really, once we disagree, the first thing we want to do is get apart. So you can see why it's important that we should write those so we can get apart. And most contracts, if they truly had uh, arbitration and/ or, uh, and, and or actually if they, if they required Christian arbitration, which would force them to get in the room to settle the matter of differences between them. Our courts would be empty today. But, you know, we've been told that we have to go litigate. The only person that wins in litigation is the attorney. So, so in the idea of covenant, be careful what you covenant to, because Jesus also said, don't make vows that you don't intend to keep, because, see, he's a covenant God. So, if, you know, and we've all been guilty. So, oh Lord, if you'll just do this, then I will do this, at least until Thursday. <laughs> okay, but the Lord heard from heaven, if you, then I. He's my daddy. He wants to covenant with me, so we're stuck then with this situation, that looks something like this. It takes two parties to come into agreement or to covenant. So the two parties, parties A and party B, they come into agreement. If the agreement is kept, then that's called a blessing. If the agreement is broken, it's called a breach or a curse. And under the law, there, there has to be a, con, a consequence. Sound familiar? I mean it sounds like sin, right? You know, so there has to be a consequence. If it's if it's um, equitable or or you know between people, the, the answer is money. Okay? If if it's if the if the matter is criminal, then then it is time or life. That's the consequence. So if you think of when you enter into agreements with people, if you treat them with knowing that there's a consequence to the way you honor them. Then, then you'll, you'll figure out how to get the blessing in your life. You see what I'm saying? So, so you want, don't, in, just don't enter into agreements so easy. But when you do, then honor them. And then, then you'll have a blessed life. So there's three ways to do that. One is to build, start from scratch. Another is to buy, you know, buy someone else's business. And another one is to partner. And that's usually by agreement. Because remember, general partnership has all this liability associated with it. So we just form an agreement between us because there is no liability in the agreement because we can... Isolate that out by just having a simple term that says, you know, in our relationship, if you get stupid and go get drunk tomorrow and kill somebody, I'm not, I'm not in it. And that holds up in court. So, so the idea of you enter into agreements to build with other people, but see, this is where that sound alignment stuff that Sheryl Ann was talking about comes in. Who are the right people on the bus? You know? When, when, you, when you buy the business, who were the right people on the bus? Did, did they do nasty stuff that they didn't tell me about? And I'm now buying that liability. So anytime you buy a business, never buy the liability. Only buy the asset. And how do you buy assets? By agreement. It's called an asset purchase agreement. Because the agreement, you can set the covenants up right, but if you buy the company you buy the good and the bad luggage see how that works uh, well in some cases that's the way it can be set up but you know there's contract there's limits of liability too, based on on different state laws of how long you know you you can be sued for something many cases it's only two years So this is a case where procrastination, if you do do need to go get a remedy, is not a good thing because it's from the time you first knew it, not the time you first took action on it. And you can bet one of the first questions the other side's attorney is going to ask you, well, when did you first find out about this? Because what they're trying to do is get the statute of limits invoked so that they can throw that clause out. Make sense? So you just want to be careful doing those things. Build, buy, and partner. So if you're starting your own business, there's a, a number of things that you have to know, right? You have to, you have to you know, know your market, know your customer, know your business model, know your suppliers, know all this kind of stuff. If you're, if you're buying a, an existing business, often the best one to buy is a franchise Why you're, you're buying their business system. They've already made all the mistakes, hopefully, and you're paying a fee for that. To avoid two or three, four years of suffering before you finally figure it out, and then the last, one, of course, partner is just finding ways to come together in strength. So it appears kind of a complex little organization. If you notice, I've brought several things together, and what's great is, is this is the way I think the kingdom is supposed to work. You have all these different functioning bodies. For example, you know, on the top we have a nonprofit. Let's say it was this church. In the center, we might have a cooperative, which the church could be a member, okay, of, uh, of the association. Uh, down below, we have a for-profit entity operating out of the cooperative, but it's actually taking advantage of the crowd, which comes from all of the part, people involved in the organization. This eliminates a tremendous amount of what is called UBIT in the, in the non-profit world unrelated business income tax so by using agreement you can separate the parties in the right place and therefore not have to get stuck with a bunch of this tax it also gets rid of another problem called private inurement and this is where the leadership somehow benefits by the influence um and so a lot of churches have gotten in trouble for that but you know once again, you only get in trouble because you don't know. If you know or get good advice, you never get in trouble unless you are dishonest. And if you are dishonest, well, you should get in trouble, right? But I'm just saying, if, if, you're, if your intent was to be honest and forthright and you just make a mistake, but see, unfortunately, in the law, mistakes are not an excuse. So that's why you need strategy. And governance is the first strategy. It's often never discussed when a business comes together. Okay. So, here's what I've learned about starting a business. The most difficult thing to do is raise money for your idea, your dream, your vision. Uh, and, And so... Uh, and you can make so many mistakes there if you don't properly follow the rules. What's great is, is a couple years back, President Obama made a very great, interesting law. And that law was called the JOBS Act, which stands for Jumpstart Our, Bus- Jump Our Business Startups. And it, And in that law, they created three... Three forms of, of, of raising money, which we'll get to in a second. But let's talk about the ways you can raise capital. I forgot this slide was in there first. The so first way a lot of people do it is they, they, they use debt. They, they borrow money from somebody. Problem of borrowing money from somebody, what usually has to happen when you borrow money from somebody? You got to pay it back. So, you know, and, and they never want you to pay it back after you're making a profit. They want to pay it back according to the terms of the loan. Well, those two can often be in conflict with each other. And and so uh, you can do a personal line of credit, invite friends and family, or you can use other people's money through promissory notes and debentures. We won't wear you out with what those are. Then there's equity. There there was two ways to buy equity until just recently. The first was common stock and the other one was called preferred stock. I'm actually the author of the thing called Split, which takes advantage of the new tokenization economy uh, and allows us to, use, us to use tokens and cryptocurrency to create a new asset class to allow us to raise money using Jobs Act. Um, then there's the hybrid, which we call the concept management company, and the idea here is often you need a partnership. Okay, you, you've got this this big, great business. You've got your big great idea right and over here you are the operator you know how to do whatever it is this is you're the genius of it but you're broke you know most business startups could testify that's their state so they go to their credit cards and they bury themselves in debt but they didn't have a good plan so now they put stress in the family and they get a divorce you know because the biggest cause of divorce in America financial struggles second is impropriety in the, in the relationship which also usually comes after there's financial struggles okay so finances is a, it's important to have your, your, yourself together when it comes to finances but over here in operation you want to be the operator so what you can do is you can partner with an investor. But what about investors? They have the money, but they don't want to do any work. So then you use this as your way to create a contract that says, we're going to do this business relationship together. I'm going to bring my labor, my insight, my this, my that. You're going to bring the money, For the beginning, since you're my investor, maybe you'll get 75% of the profit, and I'll get 25%, and then at some point we might agree it would be 50-50, and then eventually uh, you'll get 25%, and I'll have 75%, and I'll go on to run my life. This waterfall concept is how most real estate has been developed over the years it's now being applied to small business. And and so this methodology is a great methodology. Uh, And so it's a way to get it done. Um, And what you're looking for there is you're looking for your, for both partners in the circumstance. Often you use an LLC for this, but what you do is you have both of them be active, not passive. And then under the law, you haven't asked for an investment, you've partnered with somebody and by doing that, you don't have to worry about securities registration. Once again, just knowing the rules, you know how to play the game. So this is called the CMC, this Concept Management Company. That's what that stands for, Concept Management Company. Change the color of the marker. Do I need to redraw it? Go to black, okay. Black. So, does everybody kind of get? Does everybody get that sense of it? I know this is kind of boring stuff, but we're gonna have Cheryl Lamb back up here in a few minutes, and she'll fire everybody back up again. (laughs) Okay. So, so then, the last one is the cooperative association, and we've talked about that great length. What's great about cooperative associations? The modern hybrid allows us to bring everything together back in the old days farmers were the only cooperatives and so what they would do is they get together and they buy their fuel their feed and their fertilizer together they grow up their stuff and then they commit to come together to market to protect their price but today starting in actually in the the state of minnesota and now growing all across the country uh, there's a new hybrid cooperative association which allows us to mix producers and consumers together into an ecosystem, which sounds like an ocean, like we talked about earlier, which sounds like a crowd. So now, if we can find ways to all get along, we're much more powerful together than we are apart. Because when we need toilet paper, we can get the price. Okay? But anything and everything that we might need together, we can get the price. And any money that we make from getting the right price, we can share. But it won't be socialistic, meaning everybody gets treated the same. It'll be given back to you in the order in which you give. That kind of sounds even biblical, doesn't it? Okay? So that's why I'm so, such an affinity for those. We'll talk about one that's being created uh, to do that. Let's see. So this equity crowdfunding, the JOBS Act, it comes in three components. Um, the first one is called regulation. Uh, well, the first one you have heard about before was, was rewards. And, and you know, Indiegogo, GoFundMe, all of that. And, and what makes it not a security is, is, I put my appeal up there, and then you give me 25 bucks, and I send you a T-shirt, or I give you a coffee cup, or I, I, I tell you that you'll be the first to buy the product at a special price, or whatever the case may be. It's a, it's a this for that, and and so for that reason, it has not been deemed a security but we couldn't raise a lot of money doing that because there was no way to really go out and market to the crowd see the problem with securities is the the current securities law which was created back in 1933 so it's really current uh you know it did not allow for open solicitation to the public and the reason was because there was these mean dirty carpetbaggers who you know would tell it, tell you almost anything to get you to buy the stock and the government in its infinite wisdom wanted to protect all of us because we you know are not able to make decisions for ourselves and 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 so as and, and by the way that's why i think a lot of regulations going away because you know we can make decisions for ourselves because even if we make a stupid decision what is it it's still a decision and the lord will cover us for making a good decision it's those indecisions he doesn't like right But that being said, there is some reason for consumer protection. I'm not saying there isn't. But what I'm saying to you is is it don't need to be as overarching as it has been. So interestingly enough, the, the Obama administration created this JOBS Act. And the idea was is that we could go out there and we could actually solicitate through the crowd called social media and television in any other form we wanted to reach. I could stand in front of a crowd of people like this and talk openly about what my dream is, and I would not be in violation of the law anymore. That was significant. However, nobody really adopted it while Obama was in office. But in the last 18 months, it has exploded. And billions of dollars are being raised this way, and finally, the ones who share are finally getting excited about that. Now, here's the thing: Regulation CF says you can borrow up to you can borrow or take equity up to one million seventy thousand dollars. That takes care of the grand majority of small business startups, or it takes care of the grand majority of the phase one funding, even if you're going to be bigger. Then Regulation A for accredited and that was the other thing it was accredited and non-accredited investors so it used to be all the good stuff was only given to the rich you had to you had to make at least two hundred thousand dollars a year have a million dollars net worth not counting your house or you couldn't buy these special investments now anybody can buy them up to ten percent of their annual income Was based on assets and income. Now, this is just based on income. So if you make $50,000 a year, you can spend up to $5,000 on any one company, and you're in compliance. But it gives you a chance to participate. The problem is, is none of those offerings shared. You know, they, they still weren't sharing. You, you make the investment. It's a private investment. If they never go and roll it into public stock, you're just giving your money to them, and you own a share, but you don't get nothing. Except the pride of saying, I own it. So, right? But it, it, there is a this is a very popular method because the crowd wants to buy the lottery ticket, right? They want to put a hundred bucks in, have it become the next Microsoft, and boom, I'm a rich guy. So Reggae Plus is the same thing except You can raise up now. The other one in the middle is 506C, which is only for accredited investors. Interesting enough, A-plus is limited at $50 million. CF is limited at $1 million. 506C, of course, is unlimited because the rich people still get to do all that they want to do as much as they want to do whenever they want to do it. Now they can just talk about it publicly and not at the golf club, golf course. So... So the idea here is, is if you've got the big idea, you don't have to raise a million dollars. If you need $100,000, you can do it this way. And, And what you do is you pick one of the 39 platforms that are out there right now. And you put your business up on there just like you would on Indiegogo. You tell your story, boom, 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 boom. People send in money. You give them shares in your company. And you now have the capital to do what you need to do. It's better than going to friends and family because you still want them to be your friends and family. And so, <laughs> and so and so, the idea is here, it's a way to attract investment. Uh, I happen to be fortunate to own a company called Simply Go Public. This is what we do. We help people do this. Now, I'm not advertising for Simply Go Public. I'm just letting you know that because what we are is we're project managers because most people didn't know how to do this. And so all we're really doing is just teaching them how. Um, You still need your doctor, your lawyer, and all that other stuff that you'd have to have. So this is a great new age, a new time. But what it needed was something to share. So we came up with this thing we call the split. And as of just last week, it is officially now embraced by the securities community. And it took some arm wrestling and beating about the heads and shoulders. But what we do is we combine a bunch of stuff in a bucket. We, we utilize the thing called a smart contract, which is the new, the new technology associated with blockchain, and we write rules into the contract that says you're buying a variable preferred security so that you can make profit once the company makes profit. So you don't have to wait around for us to go public. You'll get a check once a quarter, once a year, whatever it is, and you share in the company's profits. Then when the company decides to go public, you can convert your shares into common stock and sell them on the open market for hopefully three, four, five, six times what you paid for them. Or you can hang on to them and give them to your grandkids, whatever you choose to do. It also provides for other things, like you can exchange the token for the goods and services that the company offers. Let's say that they never really get all that successful, but you like what they do. Then you can trade your token in for just the goods and services they do, and they receive it just like currency. So it solved all of the problems that were out there of what was called liquidity. For the the small investor to be able to get access to their money, why somebody else didn't come up with it, I don't know. And it's tax deferred until you sell it. And it even qualifies for uh, um, self directed IRA money. So that's one of the exciting things about that. Let's see. So we talked about clarifying your vision, deciding how much money you need, getting your business plan together, all that kind of stuff. Do you need an investor partner? Are you going to raise the money from the crowd? Are you going to take it from HIP National? You know? Wherever it's coming from, you know, you got to have the money to run the business. And depending on how much money you need, it tells us where to go now. Um, So like I said, SPLIT stands for Sharing Preferred Leveraged Income Token. And I've already told you what all it does. So, lunch break. We already had lunch. Okay. So now it's time for us to get into some strategies. And so what was originally supposed to be was, was I was going to do this session and just tell you a few of the case studies, which I'm going to do. Sherylann didn't get a chance to share some of her case studies with you back when I cut her time too short before. So I'd invite her to come up and share some of hers if she'd like to. Huh? No, no I'm going to do these case studies and then questions are after that. And then guess what? We get to play that music. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Graduation. All right. So, um, you want to start off by sharing one of your case studies? Oh, okay. Thank you.
1: So, we're back to the relational blueprint. You need it from heaven. There's four elements that need to be in place. If any one of those four elements is missing, your team will not be in sound alignment. You need all four. So, um, um, so okay. Let me just start here. I'm sorry. I'm kind, I'm kind of dragging. <laughs> I feel like I'm sl- sl- slutter, sluttering, <laughs> stuttering. I'm just. you just kind of hit me. Boop, <laughs> bleep. Okay. Um, okay. I step on the screen for you now. Okay. So that's the model based on Glory DNA. Um, which is the sound of the DNA that's within you. You can hook up your DNA these days and it has a sound, it has a frequency. Divine chemistry, which is how you put those DNAs together. Proper focus, which means the role and responsibility that each member has on the team. And then uh, right timing, that means you adjust the team at different stages. Now again, all that's in the book. It, It took me 10 sessions of training an hour each for each session to communicate this topic. There's case studies in the book, the models in the book, and what happened was I advised all these leaders and I felt as if God God would give me a word of knowledge, word of wisdom, by the way, word of knowledge rocks. It has been used thus far in the body of Christ as a support capacity for the prophetic. When you're a leader, you need decision-making certainty. So word of knowledge and word of wisdom is critical. In my work with leaders, they're rich with vision. They're rich with passion. What they needed is decision-making, certainty, and word of knowledge and word of wisdom is actually, in my opinion, for that group, more important. So you want to hone up your word of knowledge. It's just where you orient yourself in the spirit. Anyway, so, um, so I'd ha- have all these situations happen, and I'd ask the Lord w- what, what was the answer, and he'd often give me a relational answer, change up the relationship somehow. All this cool stuff would happen. So there is a $10 million ministry. And um, founded by this guy that was really passionate. um, But it got to a place where he didn't know how to let go from being the founder. It's called founder syndrome. And as a result, they were never able to fully expand. They weren't able to identify um, other streams of income that would support them. And as a result, they never fully took their place of being independent from the government who at any moment could have shut them down. It was a drug rehab facility, so because he wasn't willing to let go his role as founder and give it to someone else to take it to the next stage, they had a lot of problems, and they probably only accomplished a third or a quarter of what they could have had they brought in different leadership so that's a case study of not making a switch of timing
0: i'll do one then you can do the next one i got I got my do so so about, like I said, about four years ago, we, we held the first Stewards Summit, and we invited 35 business and ministry leaders in, uh, mostly CEOs, the grand majority were CEOs, and we challenged them with this idea that, as Christians, would they, what, would they take the challenge to become stewards, the, kind of the challenge I'm going to leave you with th- this afternoon. And, and the idea was is that there were, there were a number of graduates, but here's what we learned. Of the 35 people that came, about 17 of them continued on for the next year and was accountable to answer questions that we would send them. So you see, they were already self-sorting, right? They, 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 they were committed, but they weren't willing to put any action with it, that other half. Of the 17, about 20% of them, okay, uh, are about three or four people, really, not only did the 17 go through the year, but then the three or four of them really embraced and, and executed on plans, okay? So that kind of gives you an idea that it was only about 10% really activated. What's amazing is that produced more than $100 million worth of business, can you imagine if all 34 had executed? Okay. So I know this. In this room, there's a bunch of you that are getting kind of a little bit juiced up about this idea. And somebody's going to go home, and the dog's going to run over the cat. And you're going to get distracted, and, and you're going to let it go by the by. But if just 10 or 20% of you will do this, I promise you, you can change your community. Okay. So the first, one of the first uh, folks there was a pastor. Uh, and Kurt gave me his permission to use his name. So Kurt, um, his first passion was is that he wanted to uh, provide housing for, um, for underprivileged folks in the area. You know, he had been traveling the world doing ministry and stuff like that. But in his area, he knew there were just, you know, there was folks after 2008 who had lost their homes and couldn't qualify to get an apartment anymore because... Their, their, their uh, FICO scores were messed up, you know, because they lost their job, this, that, and the other thing. They were good people. They had jobs. They just didn't fit the box. And, and so, um, so the first plan was, was to go out and buy trailers because you can buy trailers for around $5,000 used and then to take about $10,000 and refurbish the trailer on the inside because one of the things he learned was is people are more concerned with the inside than they are the outside and give them a really decent place to live. And, and so he's about $15,000 into this location, and he can get about $650 a month rent, which was still about $150 below market. So he was helping them with a good price. He was doing this. If you take um, $15,000 and you divide it by $650, how long does it take to get his money back? A couple years, right? After that, all the money goes to profit. So then he took that one step further And he then started to buy um, mobile home parks because then he didn't have to move the trailers, okay? And when people left, they would just sell him their trailer and they started to refurb those. Now he's got all kinds of people working for him doing landscaping. He's got all kinds of people working for him doing refurbishment work. He's buying appliances from the local appliance dealer. In other words, he's, he's contributing greatly to the economy And that's grown to now uh, close to $5 million worth of parks. Okay, and it generates now right about $100,000 a month, of which he takes half that and puts it into world missions. So let me ask you a question. If you had $600,000 extra this year to do world missions, could this church have a bit of an outreach? So that's one idea. We'll let Sherilyn come back, and I'll give you another one when she finishes her next discussion.
1: Yeah, let me just make a comment on that. Um, One of the nations um, that we do work in um, with our our partner is India. Now, um, India is increasing their level of persecution against Christians. It's getting much more like Islam. In fact, I just got an email yesterday, Nepal, Has actually made a law that it's illegal to convert someone. So a number of ministries that um, are obviously about that have already packed up. They've already identified Christian leaders. And um, the person, I I forget the date, but it's coming soon in the next month, I think. Um, So there's a race in certain countries to plant churches. And um, because in India, there's a rule that says if you have a temple, you can't plant a church within three kilometers of that temple. So there's a battle to take territory. Now, we have plans for church planting. There's crusades that have already happened. Churches have already been planted. We have a great guy over there, Timothy, um, who, by the way, was um, supported by a single military guy. Throughout his whole time, he was an orphan, and he was from the lowest caste, so you have no rights in India. You have to, um, the only way you get anything is through government entitlements. So he was at this compassion ministry school. He gained an education. He was very ambitious. He graduated from that and started businesses, and then his apostolic gifting, God um, redirected him, and he became a church planter in addition to that. So there's really great support there, but this is the point. Uh, we have plans for an equipping school, a five-fold equipping school, a K-12 school, and we plan on bringing them economic strategies to help them to prosper, because if you're in the lower caste, if you have Christian, if you go and have put Christian on your identity card and identify as a believer, you don't have your government entitlements. So basically, in India is pioneering the biometrics, which will become a part of the mark of the beast. And so if we go over there and get them saved but we don't help them to prosper, they're already set up for that mark. How have we served anyone? Here, get saved so you can go to hell. So we need money for that. In um, a large city in India, they divide acres into one-hundredth. So there's 100 pieces to an acre, Okay. So one-one-hundredth of an acre in, in, in a big city in India, how much do you think that costs? $4? Any other guess? 750000 U.S. dollars. One one-hundredth of an acre. So we need money to do that, okay? And these trailers can help be used to plant the churches. In fact, the MinMax company has been used to build a, what, 10,000-square-foot church? 100,000-square-foot church. So anyway, I guess I'll just use that up as my time, and then I'll give it back or let you take okay, it. Okay, let me take So, So
0: then, uh, so we've taken the, the, the idea of trailers to a new dimension in that we've now created these, these houses you can snap together like Legos that will sustain 150-mile-an-hour wind, and they'll, and they'll also take it up uh, like an 8.6 earthquake. And so now these churches she's talking about only have to be about 400 square feet just to meet the government's criteria. So what we do is we pair a church with a well, and now the people, the most precious thing in most of the villages that people want is clean water. But they come to the church to get their clean water. And they actually are willing to pay a certain number of rupees for that water, which then sustains the church and the ministry. And and now that's, because they're buying their water somewhere else, we sell it to them for half of what they'd have to pay anywhere else. So they come there and they see the love of God and work in, in the case of ministry. So uh, the next uh, business is, was an ice cream shop. And the idea was that to create an ice cream shop that had really, really wholesome ice cream in it. But the idea was to put on the walls certain paintings and sayings and this and that that were not overtly Christian. But they cause conversation. And so the the goal was to, with excellence, make some of the best ice cream you've ever eaten so that people would want to come there, sell it at a fair and reasonable price. And then when they asked questions about the pictures and stuff on the wall, it gave them a chance to witness. That gave birth to the next idea which is called seed and vine which is a coffee shop we took the same idea about putting stuff on the wall building a coffee shop the idea is to get people to come and stay unlike starbucks which is to leave and 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 then actually in the evenings then use that as a place for bible study groups to meet did you have something that you want to say Ann?
1: Oh, okay. And, and, and part of the equipping for the ministry school um, is to have students learn skills in these different trades so that then they can be sent out to different cities in the U.S. and around the uh, world as fivefold teams. So the businesses become places of equipping. So that there's natural skill development so that you're not just sending someone over who can prophesy, but now they're in a foreign country and they've got to be able to do all these other things and they're ill-equipped. So all of that's tied together really beautifully.
0: You know, the cooperative idea has been now expanded to where, I'm just giving you these ideas, okay? The cooperative idea has been now expanded. In some countries you cannot build a church, but the law allows for you to open a cooperative and cooperatives have to have an affinity guess what their affinity is Jesus Christ but because they're cooperative and not a church they're allowed to plant so once again knowing the rules of how to play the game is really really important Um, oh one of the great businesses that have come up is, is a thing called Mission Auto and Mission Auto serves both the local community and the international community, and that what they did was they bought a garage. I actually had it, most of it donated to them, but, they, but they, bought, they got this garage. They took a couple of the mechanics from the church. They volunteered to go start working there, and they just run a regular garage Monday through Friday, but once a month, sometimes twice a month, they'll advertise within the community that if you're a single mom or you're a widow you can go there and get your oil changed now that doesn't sound like much unless you don't have the money to get your oil changed right and then that's a big deal but it goes a little bit further when they get there and they're they're changing the oil they realize it looks like their brakes not good they don't tell them they do this but they go ahead and fix their brakes too they've even changed out an engine for one lady okay and so they they take the profits and they go there first they go to their local community first, if whatever's left over then, they give to the national, I mean the international mission efforts of their church. And then that goes out and does it. Now these guys are still making a decent profit, but if you remember that 25, 50, 25 that we talked about, they're still making the 25. They just gave up the, 20, the other 25 that would have went to the ownership. They just gave it to the king because they said it was his anyway. So uh, one, of the, one of the exciting things we've done now, and we've done this in several countries and, and the United States, um, is we, we built these uh, hydroponic uh, places, and we, we partnered with a company called Vertigro to do that, and they're the ones that built all the hydroponics for Disney. And, uh, and so they fell in love with what we're talking about so much that the, the, the heir apparent, the son that was going to inherit the business, has now moved to join our our ministry team development and and actually designed whole new hydroponics facilities for kingdom processes. And and we're so efficient with growing food in these facilities that if you plant it in a village, the village can grow enough food to feed the entire village and have enough left to sell to pay the pastor to run the church. Okay? Okay. And, and And so many cities in the United States have what they call food deserts there's' it's, it's just the food's not available. You see these programs where tell kids to pick up their 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 lunch before they go home because both parents are working and they're going to be home latchkey for a while uh so and so they send them home with a with a dinner because they may or may not get dinner that evening uh well imagine. If on, on one of your properties, you, you, car, you carve out... By the way, all of these are on less than a third of an acre. Because we go vertical. We get the equivalent of seven acres and a third of an acre. In fact, if you have a rooftop available, we can even put it on the top of the roof of a building and not use any much, any new, new land. Because the more sunlight, the better, right? And, and so uh, one of the groups in Tennessee, they started out as a cooperative. The people all pledged to, to put the money in. They, in fact, raised the money in one day to, to, to buy the uh, uh, hydroponics. But then, But then over time, they just couldn't stand eating so many fresh vegetables. I mean, seriously, this thing produces groceries. I mean, it. They it, it I mean, you talking about bell peppers this big? It's amazing, and and they're and they're organic level. I mean, it's, you know, it's not GMO stuff, the kind of stuff that our grandparents ate, and that's why they live so long, and we're eating this other crap and dying sooner, right? So I mean, that kind of stuff, right? So they're growing all of these great vegetables, but the people just can't stand it. They're getting so many vegetables. So, 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 they, so they stopped growing the vegetables and started growing strawberries. But these strawberries, you know, are big strawberries, beautiful strawberries. And so what they do is they go down to the local uh, farmer's market once a week on a Saturday. And they don't have to be there all day. They usually sell out all of their strawberries within the first two hours yeah. that they can grow that week. That business made 150,000 dollars after expenses. All that went to world missions. Now that propagated doing it in some villages and some other countries where they're doing what I'm saying, they're growing, and we're building those. So we now have this building system that for really around 50 to 60,000 dollars, you can, you can end a food shortage somewhere. It's just amazing how well it grows. And it uses so little water and almost no energy, and and, uh, and, in the, and it it's just great from that perspective. So we gave that idea to a friend of ours that uh, some of y'all may have heard of Raymond James Financial. Um, they're a little bitty financial company of about six point five billion dollars, and one of their founders uh, is actually at hosting an event in Idaho, and that's how how we met. Uh, Jim and Mary, or how I met Jim and Mary. Sherylaine couldn't make that particular meeting. But, uh, and in addition to many things he's done with his giving, he has built a large hydroponics facility. They now make gems and jellies. They, they have 2,500 head of cattle. And because they have geothermal water, they now grow more than a million fish in a tank. Sea bass, I mean, good stuff, Right. And so, uh, and right now, their belief is if ever there's a day of food shortage, then they'll have food for many, many people. But but right now, they sell it, and they're making plenty of money selling it to live fish, which they continue to expand. They've built new water systems for that community. I mean, the city government couldn't afford to, to, to improve its water system. They put in two and a half miles of pipeline. Paid for it with cash so it didn't burden the city. And all this from the profits that, of, the, of those businesses and the generosity of, of the James family. But what I'm saying to you is, is, you give the right person with the right resources, the right motivation, and you'll be shocked at how much they'll get involved in, in this kingdom movement that we're talking about. Um... Uh, Well, that's probably enough. You got another one?
1: Yeah, so I had a client in California, and they were producing a uh, feature-length movie. They actually had been gifted Billy Graham's former uh, recording studio, so they were able to shoot it green screen, and um, spent about three months with them, and then when I leave, I actually assess the leadership team on their ability to, uh, their accuracy rate of hearing God for their business decisions, I assess them as a whole. They met my, my metric of where I want them at before I, I move on and release them. They met that. Um, and so I move on. And because um, when I'm so, if I'm, if I'm really, really engrossed with a client, I need to make a clean break so they can grow up under the Lord and to, under the head. If it's a different type of a, a relationship, then it might be a little different. But anyway, um, so I, I, I get this email. It's maybe a month later or so, a month or two later, and they're asking for prayer. Now, we had access, access from the Lord, the, you know, their prophetic future, their strategies, da-da-da-da. Um, you know, marriages got worked on, all these other things. But I get this via email, and, and, and the Holy Spirit was very much on a particular script that they were to, um, you know, use for their movie. And it was a dark script, because it was intended to draw in people who were in darkness. This isn't a Christian bubblegum movie. And, um, and so, but there were scriptural principles. You could talk to the, the founder, and he could tell you the scriptural principle behind every single scene and what he was trying to teach, okay? So um, I get this email, hey, we don't know what we should be doing. Someone read our script, really questioned it, and, and so we're asking for your prayer. And I thought to myself, why are they stuck? We got all of that information from the Lord. They had a plan, and they've been stuck now for two weeks. So I prayed, and I said, God, what is going on? So I got a vision of three concentric circles. And the first circle was vision. the second circle was strategy and alignments and the third circle was connections and implementation now this is in the book so and what the Lord showed me oops is that there are certain people who God had called to be responsible to the vision and those people had the grace and the authority to speak into the vision Certain people had authority and grace to speak into the strategy and the alignments. And other people had a grace for connections, you know, make connections, because whenever you launch things, you need people to, who do things, right? Who can do things for you. And in and, and that same ring, these, um, this group of people also were v- responsible. They had the grace to implement, okay? So I said to him, this is all via text. I said... Draw these three circles, identify where all your people are, and ask Holy Spirit where where they are to be. So one woman was an entrepreneur, so she had business savvy, and she was a prophetic intercessor. And she was the one saying, you shouldn't do this script. Now it sounds as if she has a lot of authority to speak in to the strategy of what they were doing, right? She was an entrepreneur. She knew business, and she knew how to hear from God. That's our soulish assessment in the natural. She had authority to make connections and to help them implement. She was out of alignment. She was not in proper focus. Her role and responsibility level or it was not what God would have for her. It's not just about who's on your, on your boat. If you stop there, you'll likely fail. The whole reason I wrote the second version of Sound Alignment 2.0 is because people got the first book and they got the part that, oh, wow, it depends upon who's on the team. And they were really attentive to that. But you can have the right team, but if they're in the wrong place <laughs> on the team, there'll be friction, tension, and it'll just spiral down and eventually accomplish nothing. Almost every business or ministry I saw fail since I released the first version version, was because someone was doing the wrong thing. They also had a guy who was acting at this level, and he actually should be up at this level. So they made those changes, and they had sensitive, honoring conversations with people, and she left. Good. Good. She didn't have the right attitude to be there. If she wasn't there able to serve and do the part and the role that she was supposed to do and be content with that, then she didn't have the right attitude. That's pride. Get out. I am so on this pride thing this weekend, y'all. I don't know why. I do not know why. But there's something here that God is trying to get at. If you don't have the right attitude, get out. The other thing that can happen is you can have the right people in the right spots of the bus, but if someone gets out of tune and they start exhibiting bad behavior, bad character, that's a dissonance. That's not worship unto the Lord. And so if bad character doesn't change, then you also need to look at releasing them because that can also affect your, affect your success, okay? So that's an example of what I mean by the right spots on the bus. This isn't going to apply to everyone. That was just an example for them, but there's principles of wisdom that will apply in general cases, but the specific scenario might be different for you.
0: I do want to cover um, uh, two more examples. I promised you I would tell you about the guy who spent 400 bucks and uh, and became 1.67 billion. So, because I kind of undershot at 100 million, now we're, we're 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 somewhere north of two or three billion dollars worth the projects underway because of what we're doing. But most people don't believe that, so I just told you 100 million. So I story to you, so I'm having to testify and confess and do all those kind of things. Okay. Now, now we got that out of the way. All right, so, so we, we meet this young man who, who he, uh, he got caught. He was, he was working in the construction industry. And he got caught up in 2008 with the housing crisis, and he could no longer work. So they didn't have much money to their name, uh, exactly $400, and they, and they had a new baby, and they were trying to figure out, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? So um, interestingly enough, uh, Mary happens to know the, the wife or the sister and the wife of, of a gentleman in Indianapolis who wrote a book called The Silent Sales Machine. His name is Jim Cochram, and, and Jim wrote this book that talked about how to sell on Amazon. So this is a very agile business, right? How do you sell on Amazon? Well, Brett, in the meantime, had been going out and he was buying stuff at one house and then going over to another garage sale and selling it. So he was doing the basic fundamentals of business, buying and selling, right? And, and he was making the difference, which is often referred to as the arbitrage. So he was making the difference between those two things. And he was making enough money to keep the lights on, keep the rent paid, of course, he's living in California. If any of y'all have ever seen The Rent in California, that's a crazy number. You know, two-bedroom apartment, $2,800 a month. And, and so it's just crazy money, you know, to live out there. But anyway, they, they, they're living out there. And, uh, and so he gets Jim's book. Much like we taught y'all some principles this weekend, uh, Jim has some great principles about how to do an online business in his book, The Silent Sales Machine. And, and by the way, Jim's a, a preacher's kid, and, and the reason he calls it the sales machine, because he figures that as long as he stays quiet, the real smart people will emerge. So he really, he really is humble. He really, you know, it's like, so he wrote this book, and, and he really poured his heart into it. I think he's in the 10th edition of that book now. Just so you know, about 50,000 people have purchased uh, this book. And, and gone into business with him. I think more than 50,000 have purchased the book, but 50,000 of them have gone into business with him. Uh, and one of those happened to be Brett. And so Brett, after, at the end of the month, had still about 400 bucks left over because he bought and sold enough to pay the bills. And so he goes into this house and he goes down into the basement and he's looking for the things he can buy in this, from the, you know, you've seen the movie Pickers, right? He's, I mean, the TV show Pickers. He's trying to find stuff he can buy and then sell it somewhere else. And so he finds this big box over in the corner with a tarp over it, and he, and he takes the tarp off the box, and inside it is a bunch of these laser tag guns. And so he says to the guy, he says, will you sell me these laser tag guns? Because he's thinking, man, I can sell these things for a little bit of money. Make, you know, it would be all right. And the guy says, Yeah he says, how much do you want for me? he said, $400. Now, if you only got $400, dollars you got to be pretty certain that you're going to be able to sell those laser tag guns or you're just going to have a bunch of laser tag guns and no food, right? I mean, that's, that's the place he was at. So he buys the laser tag guns and he decides to follow what Jim said in the book, And he puts them on Amazon, and he sells out quickly. So then, by the by, a couple years pass, and last Christmas season, uh, between him and the the resellers with Jim, they sold $1.6 billion worth of laser tag guns. One product. That was found in the basement. He went to China, had it made, because nobody in the United States would make it, so they went to China and had it made and they sell these laser tag guns. This year, they're hoping for that and some diversification we're helping them with, that they'll go to $3 billion in sales. Their office is half the front here. Their whole company fits in about this much space. You know, they wear shorts to work. They, but they, they found a a thing called a sellable story they come up with this idea called a sellable story and and basically it's what makes the sellable story for the gun work is his um, how old is she six maybe six year old daughter three and six three and six year old daughter gets in the room he's got his he's got a cell phone I'm trying to let y'all see the simplicity right taking his cell phone out and it's he gives the laser gun to to his two daughters and he puts one of these new bugs they've got. When you shoot the bug, the bug pops open kind of thing. And so they're just going bang, 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 bang. And everybody gets excited watching these two little girls because they happen to have pink guns. One of them is a little bedazzled up, you know. And, and, and so they're shooting these bugs, and they're screaming and laughing and having a good time. In 15 seconds, <coughs> that, that went viral. I think now more than 20 million views. And then everybody wants to know where they can get one of those guns. Now, what you need to know about Brett and his father-in-law, Scott, who was helping him in the business, because Scott was a builder who lost his business in 2008, too. They then became partners. They got a couple of other of their buddies to come with them and bring a little bit of money, and that's how they got their business to where they're at. Their entire heart Because they've already determined how much is enough and it's way less than they've already sold. 100% of everything they make now goes to kingdom projects. Because they understand. They understand, first of all, the blessing they got, but they understand they want to teach that blessing. So if you're not capable of starting a car wash or this or that, and, and, and maybe, I, don't, I think Jim sells the book now for about, I don't know, 30 or 40 bucks. Maybe you ought to look up Silent Sales Machine and start selling stuff on the Internet. Yeah. They actually now are helping people who don't even know how to sell stuff on the Internet to, to buy their own inventory from them, and they actually use their advertising to sell it for you. There's this one lady that was homeless. And, and, um, and they decided to, to run a test with her. And so they, they gave her I think it was like 100 bucks and a book. And I think she made 150,000 net last year. And of course, she now has a home. She has her kids are not in a car or in a box anymore. So what I'm trying to say to you is, whatever it might be, mowing lawns, cutting hair by the way, in, in tough times, being in the haircutting business is big business. You know why? Everybody's looking for a job and want to have a good haircut. Seems silly, right? But it, it, it really matters. So whatever the business that you think you can do, if you can make the decision to do it unto the Lord and to make that a priority to determine how much is enough, once you reach that number, don't become Ananias and Sapphira, Right? Keep your contract with the Lord. Nobody's going to ask you what your promise was. If your promise was to give 100 bucks, just give the 100 bucks. A lot of folks desire to give up to 90% of their income once they re- reach above how much is enough. That's great, too. You know what? The Lord owns all the cattle and all the hills. He owns all the resources in the ground. He, everything that is was made by him or his creation He's not worried about how much you give. It's not the amount. It's the action. It's the faith commitment. That's what he's looking for. So with that said, I think we're at the place where we want to open this up for questions and answers.
1: I just want to say one thing. Um, if you're interested in that Amazon thing, the website is provenamazoncourse.com. Proven amazoncourse.com. Amazon has actually approached them. There's a lot of different courses out there on how to sell on Amazon. But Amazon researched the top sellers and came to them first and said we like what you're doing. And Jim's a real teacher. He's just got a pastor's heart. So everything he teaches is kingdom. It's biblical. It's truth. People learn about families and priorities and spending time with your spouse and children. So they're actually being discipled.